Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar, Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And that is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sierra. You can grab a seat. We've been uh, walking through uh, the Gospel of Matthew for over a year, and we're slightly past the halfway point. And we have one more week before we pause for three weeks to jump into some Christmas messages. So at this rate, we will be in Matthew till next Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. We got you, Matthew, again. I actually believe that this week and next week are some amazing tee-ups to the Christmas season. Even better than Michael Buble's Christmas album, Getting You Ready for the Christmas Season, is the gospel. Today in the gospel, Peter's great confession of faith. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised deliverer and king. And he's the son of the living God. This is not just a paramount moment in the gospel, but this is a paramount moment in our life when we confess and rejoice in who Jesus is. Despite the sharp decline of confessing Christians in our culture today, Jesus is still a subject of discussion, interest, and intrigue. So whether you believe what Peter confessed about Jesus or not, Jesus is still a table talk subject for us. He's still influencing us. We're still fascinated. We're still fans. Even if we're not followers, we like this guy, or at least parts of him. And we're at least borrowing some guiding light from him in our life. Maybe this is why Jesus has been on the cover of Time Magazine 21 times, more than any other religious leader. He is still influencing us as humankind, whether we like to acknowledge it or not. Also, opinions and speculations about him are vastly all over the place still. Just like in this moment right here where we heard this morning where Jesus is with his disciples and he asked them, who do people say the Son of Man is? Verse 13 and 14. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others still Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So the table talk about Jesus during this time where he's with his disciples, what the common people are saying about Jesus is that he's a prophet, apparently a dead prophet that's come back to life, but he's a prophet. He's like a lion. He's disrupting things. He's got a presence about him everywhere he goes. Every prophet has this roar about him. And Jesus roared against injustice, and he turned over tables of hypocrisy. 
And to them, in their moment of life with Jesus, he was a disruptor, a lion. Kind of like Aslan from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Not necessarily safe, but good. This is Jesus. And today, we have maybe more of like an opposite view of Jesus. What most people talk about Jesus, how they talk about him, is more like a lamb. He's a meek, social reformer, gentle, wise, moral teacher. He's a sympathetic healer. This is more kind of the common vibe with Jesus in our day. The truth is that he's actually a lion and a lamb, that he is a prophet, just like they're saying in verses 13 and 14, but he's much more than that. He is the fullness of what Peter confesses next in verse 15 and 16. Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. Jesus is a prophet. He is a healer. He is a teacher. But he is much more than that. He's the Messiah and the Son of God. Messiah means king or anointed one. Jesus is the promised one. So if you read through the Old Testament, you'll hear these prophecies of someone who's going to come and sit on the throne of David, restore the glory of the people of Israel, reign forever over them. This is Jesus. He's the fulfillment of every promise of God in Scripture. He's the fulfillment of the Christmas prophecies. You know it. It's on your coffee mug you're about to get out, unless you've already had it out for like a month. You're one of those people. you got your Christmas tree up and all that stuff. You'll hear it at least during the season, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is who Jesus is. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Everlasting Son whose kingdom knows no end. Scripture says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether it's thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is who Peter confesses Jesus to be. This is who you are. Much more than just one little sentence. He's the fulfillment of a whole universe's longing. This is who we confess Jesus to be. Matthew 16, 17, and 19, Jesus replies to Peter, says, Blessed are you, Simon. The bar Jonah just means son of Jonah. It's a weird way of saying that, but blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Before Peter was Peter, he was Simon, and then he met Jesus, and Jesus changed everything. Sound familiar in your own story? Jesus renames him, but in this instance, he actually calls him by his old credentials. Simon, son of Jonah. He's reminding Peter, I know where you've come from. Do you remember where you've come from? He's making this contrast because he wants it to be clear for Peter that no one in your past, nothing behind you has brought you to this understanding. 
It's not because you grew up in a Christian home. It's not because you went to university and you have a bunch of letters by your name that you studied hard enough that you finally reached the answer. That is not how this came into your mind and heart, Peter. Only. This is not a flesh and blood thing, is what Jesus is saying. This is a God thing. Only God could do this. It's a work of God. It's a revelation of God. It's a blessing from God. And it's honestly pretty humbling, this reality that knowing God is not based on your intellect. It's based on divine illumination. It's all gift. It's all grace. It's not your bubbly personality. It's not because you show up on time. It's not even because you sought so hard to find it. It was God's gracious and merciful decision and work to show you who he was. We seek, but he reveals. It's like this cosmic, divine, like, game of hot and cold. You know, like... Something's hidden, and you'll play with kids, and you'll say, like, oh, you're hotter. Oh, you're hotter. Oh, you're colder. You're colder. Oh, you're hotter. Oh, you're burning up. You're burning up. And this is God's joyful disposition to us, to show us, to bring us, to draw us to the hidden treasure in his son. He wants everyone in on this. Matthew 16, 17 to 19, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Let me remind you again who you are. Let me remind you again where I've brought you. No one else, not yourself, but me. What I've spoken over you. I'll tell you who you are. You're Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This chunk of scripture's got all kinds of stickiness and all kinds of debates and questions and conversations and divisions, and it's awesome that we get to preach it this morning. This passage gets a little sticky for some because the question comes, is Jesus saying he's going to build his church on Peter, on that rock? Because that's what his name means. Is this what Jesus is saying? These scriptures have been used to make Peter an infallible pope. But if you read literally just three verses later, old Peter ends up on team Satan. If you, if you keep reading even further, Jesus denies Christ altogether. Even though he may not be infallible, I do believe that what Jesus is doing and saying here, he's making him a prototype of what, his, of what Jesus will build his church on, which is not a person, It's not a building, it's not a service, it's not a denomination, but it's a confessing community of believers, of which Peter was the first. This is what Jesus is building upon. You are not the rock that Jesus built on. I am not the rock that Jesus built on. Jesus is the rock on which he builds his church. This thing doesn't hinge on you and I having a good day or doing the good stuff. It hinges on Jesus building. We're just membered. We're just stacked like living stones on top of the rock by the Spirit. 
Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which is not them, it's not their gift, it's not what they do. It is on Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is what makes us the church. Not that we sing three songs, open a book, and then give each other hugs and eat donuts and go home. This is not what makes us a church. What makes us a church is our confession of Christ. It is Christ alone. It's Christ in everything. It's Christ in all we do. The church, the, Christ is the supreme confession of the church. It's, he's the supreme concern of the church. We gather for him, not even for ourselves. When we confess that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, we come under this authority of this reality. That Jesus is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. We're arrested to the reality that Jesus is the answer for human existence. Jesus goes on and says, you're blessed. Not because you've done everything right, but because of what you've given your allegiance to, which is Jesus. This is What is the blessing that Jesus is pronouncing? Jesus goes on to say that he builds his church, and when he builds his church, the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. Super intense. Pretty amazing. What he's saying is that death will not have dominion over you any longer because of your confession of faith in Jesus. This doesn't mean that you're not going to die because you confessed. This doesn't even actually mean that you're free from pain or you're free from difficulty or even martyrdom. Every disciple, except for John, will be killed for this confession. What Jesus is saying is not that you're going to live this like, Got you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow life where everything's going to go great and grand for you. What he's saying is that because of what he did on the cross, death will not get the last word. Death, Satan, sin, the dominion of darkness was conquered on the cross. Even though we still see it, even though we still experience the effects of it, Satan is a defeated enemy. But he's going down swinging. Maybe this is, as part, this is like a story of, of your life. It was for me on multiple occasions. Maybe you've witnessed this before, but in the summer you're at a pool party and you're just minding your own business, enjoying like a hot dog, and then there's like six group of very strong, big, burly men who decide you're going to go into the pool fully dressed. And they hoist you up. And your fate is sealed. They are marching you straight towards the water. And you're just starting to ditch your phone and your wallet and your keys. And you're just, you're, you're just coming to grips with it. This is where I'm going. This is happening now, whether I like it or not. But then something switches. 
you have one question that drives your existence for those few moments. Who's coming with me? (laughs) Because if I'm going down, all of you are going down with me. My game is now to bring as many people into this pit with me as possible. And this is our enemy. He is a defeated enemy. He is being marched to the pit. And he has one question that is driving his existence. Who is coming with me? I will not go down alone. He is a wounded. He's been mortally wounded. But a wounded dog is the worst kind of dog. This is why we still experience the bite of the kingdom of darkness in our life. This is why we still sense this and and, and battle through this. He's fighting ruthlessly in our lives. And the kingdom of darkness rages on all the more now. But we hold to the true confession that Jesus is a victorious king. That we win in the end, not by our doing, but by his doing. Matthew 16, 19, he goes on and says, I'll give you the keys of this kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, well, it's going to be loosed in heaven, baby. Another fun passage. It's got all kinds of stickiness around this. Interpretation. People going every which way. Some people have used this passage and believe that it speaks to church authority. We're the final say. We actually get to say who's in and who's out. And I believe that the church as a whole, we do have authority, but the authority is to bring each other and this world to the scripture and hold each other accountable to that. God gets the final say, not us. This has been used to cut people out of what God's actually paid for his life with to bring you into, which is the family of God. And people have wrongly wielded this to kick you out. Some others would take this passage and they would say that this this passage has some power of like a name it and claim it. Like you can bind up those allergies and you can loose that $1.9 billion ticket in your pocket Some of you failed to loose that this last week and are really sad about that. Wish we would have got this message the week before. (laughs) Obviously, if you were loosing that, it didn't loose enough, and that's okay. But I, I don't believe that this is what this passage is saying. But what I do believe, the bigger picture of this binding and loosing, I actually believe it just speaks to the declaration, the power of the gospel itself. That those who reject the gospel preached will find themselves bound. And those who accept the gospel will find themselves loosed. This is the first and one of the only times Jesus uses the word church. In this passage, the Greek word for church here is ekklesia, the assembling or the gathering of people. And this is what Jesus is building. This is the foundation of what the church, Jesus' people, will be. With him at the center, 
Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you're not saved into an independent, isolated story. That's not what you got saved into. You got saved into God's people. Into a story that's bigger than us. Into a story that didn't start with us, but praise God, it includes us now because of his great kindness. God loves you, undoubtedly. He loves you. And he loves you so much that now you are a part of something bigger than you. He loved you that much. He saved you from yourself. Your faith, your confession is your own. It is your responsibility to step into that. But it brings you into something that's bigger and stronger than you. Praise God. Because we're up against some things that are bigger and stronger than us. The place in which this conversation happens with Jesus and his disciples is important. So Caesarea Philippi is where Jesus brings his disciples. It's a city that's located on the northmost border of Israel. And some people have thought that this is the boundary between Israel and the rest of the world. So Jesus is, is literally taking them to the edge of what they know and what they don't know. And he's asking some very important questions. This city was a, a gift from, from Augustus Caesar to King Herod. Herod, who's at the beginning of the gospel, you know, he's not in the nativity scene that you're about to put up in your house, had all the babies killed, that Herod. So this was a gift. This city was a gift to him from Caesar. And then Herod's uh, crazy son takes over in some violent ways and then rebuilds this city. And he names it after himself. Because why not, if you're egotistical? Caesarea Philippi names it after the emperor and names it after himself. And right smack dab in the middle of this is this massive monument to Rome and to the grandeur of Caesar. Beautiful marble temple that essentially speaks out to anyone on the edge of the known world. Look at what we're capable of. Look at that time Caesar said he was the son of God. Look at what we can bring you into. What power, what might, what civilization we can bring you into. Also in this town is kind of the smorgasbord of religion. So you've got temples that are devoted to the Syrian god Baal, which again, if you read in the Old Testament, it's crazy what happens with this guy. I mean, he's, it, it, he's like child sacrifice god, a bloodthirsty god, right there next to the Starbucks. And then on this side of the street, you've got a temple that's devoted to the uh, Greek god Pan, who's the fertility god. So you could imagine what those worship services were like in that place. This is all happening in the same place. And Jesus marches them right into the middle and he says, who am I to you? With all of the options, who do you say I am? He's not asking for facts. He knows the facts. He's asking for allegiance. 
out of all that you have in front of you? Is he one among many ways to life for you? Is he just what you were born into? Is he just what you prefer? Is he just one among many things that are adding to your life right now? Or is he the way and the truth and the life? Who do you say he is? This remains the single most important question for us today. Not who does the church say that he is. Not who does your grandmama say that he is. Who your traditions say he is. That's not actually going to stand when the fires come. It has to be a personal revelation from God in your own life. It has to be more than traditions and personal preferences. It's not enough. Our people, our family throughout centuries, have given their life, not for traditions, not for a politician, not for a way of life, but for a man who is life incarnate. Martyred. Sawn in two. Fed to lions. Crucified. Persecuted. Not for tradition's sake. They didn't give their life for that. They didn't give their life for a preference. Oh, I just like to check this box when I vote. They gave their life for a man, the Son of Man, the Son of God, for He alone is worthy. Next week, we're going to have baptisms right here. And the men and the women who get into the waters, it will be heated, and we will have more heaters in here. Don't worry, Manuel. We got you. They're not confessing their allegiance to an ideology or to a tradition. They're confessing and giving their allegiance to Jesus, to Christ, and Christ alone. And if you've not made a public declaration to Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, as your King, you can do that today. And you can step into those waters of baptism next week. If you've already made your confession personally and publicly, today we're going to come to the table and we're going to remember him. Not how we do what we do, but who it is that we do everything unto. Would you come, Danny? Would you stand to your feet? Jesus' call to his disciples then, I believe, is the call to us now. We've got some uh, genuine options. I mean, I don't know of another time and another place and another kingdom that offers as many options to its people as this great nation here. You have lots of options. And I fear that we also have lots of options of types of Jesuses in our life. Who is it? Who is he to you? 
Where are you getting this from? Are you getting it from a podcast? Are you getting it from your friends? Are you getting it from, or are you getting it from the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, a revelation from the heart of the Father God? Is that where you're getting this from? Because that's the only thing that will change us and move us forward. As we come to the table this morning, if, if you have at one time professed your faith and you've just walked away, I just want you to know Christ has not walked away from you. The scripture says, even though we're faithless, he remains faithful. He's gone nowhere. We're not banking on your track record. We're banking on his. This is why we come to the table not to get marching orders, but to worship the one who was obedient unto death so that you and I could have life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus, we confess that you are who you say you are. We refuse to fill in the blanks on our own any longer. We come humbly underneath you, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we ask for a fresh revelation this morning, just a clearing away, just like the, the clouds that just got pushed aside by the sun this morning. We're asking right now that you do that in our minds and in our hearts, God. It's gotten cloudy. It's gotten foggy. It's gotten muddy in our minds. We've given our allegiance and loyalty to many other things and many other people, and we pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and blow? Would you come and blow through our minds and our hearts right now? Clear out all of the junk we give you permission to be the lion and the lamb today. You can come and turn over any tables that we've crowded our hearts with, anything that we've shoved inside of there that's taking up room for you. We just give you permission to come and exit out anything that needs to be exited out, God. We come with weakness and we come with wanting because that's all we've got, Lord. We come to receive life. We come to receive the King of Kings.